You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! inside the musicians guild i thank you for being here i thank you for listening so much to talk about so much happening in the world as usual Uh, a few days ago a young singer songwriter by the name of phoebe bridgers performed on saturday night live her sort of mellow catchy poppy sometimes dancey sort of pop indie rock has become very popular. She herself has become one of the largest figures in any genre outside of R&B or hip-hop. And uh, people got their feathers all ruffled because at the uh, end of her second song on the performance, she kind of did this whole guitar smash thing on the monitor even managed to get some sparks flying out of the guitar. And true to form, a bunch of people got all uppity and felt like they had to assert their opinion on the fact that a young, successful woman did something that they had feelings about. What is it about that kind of stuff that brings out the haters? I don't understand. I get that most haters like the best villains in all the stories are people that believe they're doing the right thing or doing something for a cause they believe in. But it doesn't change the fact that it's just hate. Even David Crosby went out on Twitter speaking about how that's lame and instruments are made for playing and, you know, that sort of stuff. And for the record, I agree with him. That's my personal feeling. But I don't agree with speaking out against Phoebe Bridgers for doing it. I mean, unless somebody can pull up David Crosby talking shit on Nirvana, Kurt Cobain, you know, a bunch of people doing it, Hendrix, Pete Townsend, then it's obvious what precipitated this. I've never destroyed any of my gear because my personal feeling is that I want to respect instruments. I've never gotten so many for free or had so much money that I felt like that was fun. I've watched some of my favorite artists of all time do it and do it a bunch. And although I never had the thought of, wow, that sucks. Even at 10 years old, idolizing Kurt Cobain, I never really focused on that part as being one of the coolest things. I was always more focused on 
his songwriting and his voice. I was focused on Hendrix's actual playing. I was focused on Pete Townsend's stage show. Although, it's kind of troubling referencing him with all this shit that he's been through, cleared up or not. I don't know. I'm just talking about him as the performer and the guitarist. Let's not go any further than that. But for some reason, when a young woman does it, everybody feels the need to say something about it. And as annoying as it is to hear all the people piping up saying, that's lame, you shouldn't do that, blah, blah, blah. It's also equally annoying that people would defend that gesture so vehemently to say that it stands for something more than it does. Sometimes we just do stuff. And yeah, they have ramifications. They have, you know, results. But sometimes things don't need to be overanalyzed. Like a young musician on Saturday Night Live smashing some gear because he or she wanted to make a statement or they felt like doing that at the time. They felt compelled. I mean, Phoebe Bridgers is 26, so maybe she does, but I can't expect her to have studied Nirvana and understand that, you know, that sort of thing has been done. For the record, I like her music. I find it to be very inoffensive. Is it engaging to me? No. Is it groundbreaking or pioneering? No, but why does everything have to be groundbreaking or pioneering? It's enjoyable. It sets a vibe. I don't know if she really sets a vibe that I can't get in Beach House or, or Mazzy Star, but people want new things and new combinations with new aesthetics and new vibes, and Phoebe Bridgers accomplishes that. And for what it is, I think it's authentic, and I'm totally happy that at least somebody really singing and really playing an instrument is so popular at the moment. So after David Crosby said all that stuff, Phoebe Bridgers simply replied to him, calling him a little bitch. And I would have to agree. He was being a little bitch, asserting his opinion like that because he watched a young artist do it on a large national television show. There was no crime there. And if there was, it wouldn't be the guitar smash. It would be a linear song going for five minutes. Well, I'm just kidding. Or am I? I don't know. Birds of public opinion are going to squawk. They're going to keep squawking. I just get annoyed because the birds of male entitlement, especially in the world of music when it comes to women artists, seem to have a particularly annoying type of squawk. And Phoebe Bridgers, you keep doing you like you would naturally. You have a level of success and attention and relevance right now that those who have never had it definitely dream of. And those who have once had it, who have it no more, would do anything to get. Go on with your bad self. And I would just like to clear something up real quick. Me saying that it's not groundbreaking or pioneering, that it's not particularly engaging to me, that's not some sort of backhanded compliment. I'm just being bluntly honest about 
my particular views on that sort of music. So when it comes to that sort of genre, I personally listen to it for comfort, for mellowing, for relaxation, similar to a good comforter or a pillow. I don't need those things to be trying to push the envelope. I don't want a comforter made of seashells or something crazy. I don't need a uh, 3D triangle pillow. I, they can be the form that they've been for a very long time because it worked. And when I think of sort of airy, catchy, uh, indie pop, sometimes rock, I think of it the same way. It doesn't need to be fleshing out brand new horizons. If it's authentic and it's well done, it can take the form of what it's been previously. You know, you can still improve on it without changing it. And so, if anything, it's a nod of respect to that. I appreciate authenticity when people are just trying to do what they're trying to do rather than trying to pack all this sort of intent and ambition into it, taking it out of what feels authentic to me. So, yeah, that's that. But lastly, I do need to admit that my nihilistic sort of devil child self has gotten a lot of entertainment watching the absolutely ridiculous and idiotic discourse that has come from... uh. Phoebe Bridgers stands arguing with entitled male haters that felt the need to uh, criticize her for wrecking a guitar. I can't imagine thinking that someone smashing a guitar is significant enough to represent a whole marginalized group of people's struggles. And uh, adversely, I can't imagine thinking that someone smashing a guitar is so problematic that I would need to cite it as a manifestation of a problematic way of thinking or a problematic way of interfacing with music or the music industry. Scientific research doesn't talk about the quality of the coffee in the lounge of the laboratory. Sports commentators don't take time to discuss color patterns on players' shoes? Why are we, in music, discussing what somebody does one time for one song on one performance for a television show that's been running for decades? Asked by the guy who just spent 10 minutes talking about it. <laughs> so now comes the time where I say enough of my babbling uh, on to today's guest. And today's guest is a human by the name of Brian Moss. Brian is a singer-songwriter and a musician. He's played in a lot of bands. But uh, lately, I would say he's most known for his moniker, Hanalei. Uh, he's recently completed a new album that will be coming out on AF Records. And we got to catch up and speak for the first time in many, many years. And it's really great to reconnect with somebody that was such an important part of my past and 
at this point, uh, my musical childhood. When I was 19 and living in Santa Cruz, Brian and I had a project together called the Trust Foundation, full of zeal, ideas, and hope, filled with a lot of fun hanging out, filled with a lot of passion and desire to really make music that uh, excited us. And, you know, we accomplished a lot together. We released an EP and uh, wrote a bunch of songs together. Although there were multiple factors as to why that project or that band didn't continue. Uh, One of the main ones was me being so young. I really hadn't developed any self-awareness. And a lack of self-awareness, you know, in anyone will always lead to a lack of knowing how to interact with people and carry on constructive conversations and communicate positively. And uh, although I lacked all those things, um, I still have so many fond memories about what we've created together and what I learned not only about songwriting and music, but how to deal with people and people you play in a band with, you know. Uh, Since then, Brian has, uh, like I said, done a lot of different musical projects. He's now a high school teacher, but that hasn't really slowed down his involvement with music. And I find that quite impressive because Brian is a new father. He has a career as a teacher. He's an avid outdoorsman. He likes to surf. And so... uh, It's really inspiring to watch somebody curate a life that would, for a lot of people, seem like too much. But in Brian's case, it seems like that's him living his best life, and it's awesome to see. As I've known Brian, he's always been a really great lyricist, a really deep thinker. Uh, He ingests a lot of literature And that is juxtaposed with his sort of hyperbolic sense of humor that sometimes can be so ridiculous that uh, it's just completely surprising. And I love that about Brian and I love that about people because to me that is a real display of depth and range and dynamics. And I tend to gravitate towards those people that show that sort of range and dynamics and or a a wide spectrum as uh, some might call it so getting to reconnect as grown-ass old men uh, it's really great for both of us to be able to I guess nostalgically nod at our childhood years together but to uh, reconnect with the respect of what we've both done with our lives and uh I really enjoyed our conversation. You know, we talk about a lot of different stuff. We talk about his cabin life. We talk about his minimalist beach dad style with his baby. You know, we talk about the new Hanalei record, how he wrote all the lyrics before any of the music was written. Um, We talk about his time growing up in the East Bay, playing Berkeley Square and Gilman Street with his high school ska band. We talk about being a teacher and taking uh, time off to go on a tour with your punk band. 
We talk about his normal Thai food order for his regular Sunday night Thai food and having to seek out good burrito spots before deciding whether to live in an area or not. And as always, we get into a ton of other stuff. That's just some of the stuff I summarize and talk about in these intros because that's what I do. So let's get on with it. Here's my conversation with the very thoughtful and the very talented Brian Moss. So yeah, are you in your, it looks like a music room? You've got a bunch of gear behind you? So yeah, and you know, sadly I haven't really fired up an amp in, in months, but um, this room is my wife's office. She works from home and has been working for from home for, for years. Um, so now this room doubles as music storage and her workspace. Nice. Uh, I guess you haven't been living in that place that long. So have you been able to like settle into any sort of groove of like getting creative work done there? Do you vibe with that room? Um, yeah, I mean, I've done some work in here, you know, earlier during the pandemic, we were kind of holed up in the mountains and I did a lot of mixing for the new Hanalei up there. Um, and I've done a little bit of playing in this room, but I, I don't, I wouldn't say it's completely gelled with me yet. Um, I'm trying to, I kind of took like, generally when I finish a record, I'll, I'll take a creative break and I'm, I'm trying to pull myself out of that right now because I feel like it's been long enough. Um, but yeah. Totally. That sounds pretty idyllic. Like, uh, you said you were mixing your Hanalei record up at the cabin a lot. Is it, is it how it would seem or it's just a nice relaxing setting, getting away from everything and having less sort of ambient civil, like civilization noise around? Um, I, I think under normal circumstances, absolutely. However, you know, this is like, we're talking, uh, April, late March. So it was kind of, you know, the, the, the first COVID explosion of fear and anxiety. So there's just, you know, I, I, as, as you know, there's just kind of this, uh, constant undercurrent of, uh, worry and dread that I, I think probably. <laughs> probably like tainted that experience a bit, but you know, I'm, I'm yeah. super grateful to have had something to have done during that time, you know, cause if you're not occupied, then you're just in your head, um, you know, kind of in the cyclical, uh, horror show basically. So, yeah, totally, man. Well, it's awesome that you have like a place like that to get away to for real. Like, uh, I think a lot of, it's the sort of thing that a lot of uh, people could really use and it's awesome that you make the most of it and get out there because you go out there like semi-regularly, right? Yeah, pretty, pretty steadily. Um, and I, I feel incredibly fortunate to have it. Um, you know, we're up there. I think when we, when we were still in the Bay area, we we're up there like, usually a couple times a month now being down in, in central California, uh, the drive's a little heavier. So we go up a little bit less frequently, but you know, once a month or so. And, um, yeah, you know, during, during this shit show, uh, just having the isolation up there, right. Cause it's just so low density in terms of population. Um, certainly, you know, that I I'm incredibly grateful for that. And it's the, the risk of exposure is lower. And then, you know, I'm thinking about homies that are stuck 
in just like shoebox apartments in San Francisco, Chicago, New York with a roommate that they fucking hate. That's you know eating all, <laughs> eating all their food and leaving dishes everywhere. And it's just like, God, to, to deal with a lockdown in that situation is just brutal, you know? So. Yeah, that would be super brutal. Um, for the listener, what general area is this cabin in? Um, so the cabin is up, that's, uh, near above Sonora in, in the central Sierra, I'd say highway 108, um, pushing up towards Pinecrest. So you're, you know, basically one highway North of 120, which goes into Yosemite and then, um, a couple highways South of the Tahoe thoroughfares. That's a rad area. And it's like, cool. Just because it's, uh, I mean, a lesser traveled area, you know, it's like lesser yeah. known. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like, you know, being in the Bay, um, you know, I remember being a kid and going up to the Tahoe area and it was just cruisy, you know, you're up there in, in three, three and a half hours and the crowds, at least, you know, memory has a way of rewriting itself, but I remember the crowds being minimal in, in contrast to where they're at now. I mean, I, I don't even, I don't even fuck with that zone anymore. Uh, it's just way yeah. too overblown. Yeah, totally. I have memories of being at heavenly, which is one of the biggest resorts up there a ton when I was a kid, but it not being that crazy. Like every lift line was still like five minutes max and like, you know, and they still had like both sides of the mountain and it was a big area. I have a lot of fun, like childhood memories from there. Like right yeah. It was, it was like the, you know, if, if you could swing it, the, the, the classic like Bay area winter getaway, um, or summer too. It's like the, the lift ticket prices there now too. I don't know how anyone it's, it's not that, uh, skiing or snowboarding's ever been, um, uh, you know, the, the, the poor man or woman's sport, but it's like, it's, it's on another yeah. level now in Tahoe. That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. It's, it's become a further polarizing factor in the socioeconomic gap, I would say Yeah, from what I've seen for sure. Um, so you recently were just spent like a chunk of time at the cabin, right? Like you just got back a few days ago because when uh, we were talking before. Yeah, I was up, we were up there around like four days. Um, yeah, it was like, you know, any, it's, it's nice. Uh, I can work up there because I'm teaching remote. Um, so that's kind of a, just a nice little variance to uh, the usual schedule. So. And if, if you're able to, like, what's your vibe uh, when you're up there? Meaning, do you have any sort of set routines and set activities that you engage in up there? I mean, surely you must by now because it's it's someplace you've gone to since you were a kid, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, my just a, a little background. My dad, uh, my mom was a teacher too, so she had a lot of time off. Um, and my dad was a really avid outdoorsman and uh, mountaineer. So he kind of, you know, they, they both had me up in the mountains uh, a ton from a very young age, you know, backpacking, car camping. Um, he tried to get me into climbing. It wasn't, you know, my, my thing necessarily. I mean, it's, I, I, I respect it immensely, but you know, it's, it's yeah. shit that your dad, shit that your dad does sometimes, you don't, you don't <laughs> yeah. want to partner it. Um, you know, and it, basically when I was younger, it's like, if there, if there wasn't a board under my feet, I, I didn't want anything to do with it or a guitar in my hands. Um, but yeah, so, you know, with that as a foundation, when I'm up there, um, obviously if I'm working, I got to do that, but it's, it's certainly the agenda is get outside at least, you know, once a day, whether that's, uh, just doing a little close hike or, uh, you know, if I have more time going backpacking with friends and using that kind of as a base camp or, uh, snowboarding, you know, there's fishing, there's, there's so many activities, um, to do. 
like what's the longest chunk of time that you've done a backpacking trip uh for um you know recently i haven't done much beyond three days um i, I want to plan something a little bit longer um you know ha- having had a kid recently that that you know complicates matters in terms of time away um I don't know. This summer, I'm hoping to do like a four or five day or we'll see. Uh, and, you know, it's dependent on on how things go. And yeah. That's pretty sick, dude. Um, so more what I'm curious about is you drive up there. You've driven up there thousands of times. You do it regularly now. Is there a certain grocery store you hit? Do you usually buy stuff, bring stuff from home? Is there a store you hit up there? Is there sort of tasks and chores that you have to get done as soon as you pull the car up and unload the car? Like, are you chopping wood? Are you turning the gas on or like whatever that needs to? Like, I'm, I'm really yeah, curious yeah. about that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, sadly, I wish I could sit here and be like, yeah, I, ch- I just chopped the shit out of wood. But um, <laughs> no, the fireplace is propane. So I'm not I'm not out there with my axe. There's a dude that that uh, lives next Legit. door and he's just. He's super burly and he's always just like, you know, there's some dudes up there, they're cool, but you know, you see them, they just look at you and they don't say it, but their eyes are just like, you pussy. <laughs> just like, <laughs> you city you boy. Gotta, <laughs> yeah. Total flatlander bullshit, you know, but um, yeah, man, it's a procedure, especially in the winter. Um, there's a grocery store on the way up. I hit, I'll usually pack a cooler and bring some stuff up too. But then, you know, you got to deal with turning the water on because it's, you know, pipes burst in the winter, going under the yeah. house, flip, flipping that switch, getting all the gas running. Um, and then unloading, uh, you know, whatever you're bringing up, it's easier if I go alone, it's super, it's, it's quick, but if, if the baby's in tow, um, then there's all sorts of shit coming with, but sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Like from what I've observed, like babies got as much gear as a touring band, you know what I mean? Like they got, you gotta have gear. My, my night, my nightmare, Steve too, is like, uh, you know, we've all seen this, but the beach dad, that's just got like, (laughs) two red rider wagons and just like the now you know those like the the tents are the thing now on the beach i'm like you don't need that shit you know it's like (laughs) god just like a bucket and a little shovel and you know the whole beach is your playground you got the ocean i'm not bringing all that like no i'm not gonna be that guy (laughs) is that your steve's like the minimalist beach dad yeah minimal minimalist beach dad uh you know my wife hates it but that's that's like what i i'm not I'm not saying that I pull that off, but that's what, I, I, that's what I aspire to be is like, I'm not trying to drag all that, you know? Right. Right. Like maybe your ideal situation would be, you know, get the baby all sunscreened up ahead of time and just, you know, chips and salsa and a bottle of water wrapped in a towel baby with the shovel and bucket and like, let's go. That's it. He's like, he's super stoked on rocks right now, which is just a dream. Like we had him down at, down at the beach earlier <laughs> And he just, all he wants to do is pick up rocks and there's rocks everywhere. So it's like, cool. I don't, I don't have the red rider wagon with a ton of shit in it. Go play with some rocks. <laughs> You're stoked on that, man. Like hopefully yeah. it lasts a while. Hopefully it's not like a quickly fleeting phase. <laughs> right. Like hopefully he's like 35 and just super into playing with rocks. <laughs> you know? Now maybe he'll be a geologist. Who knows? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so Sorry, I'm still curious about the cabin, so I just want to keep asking you about this stuff for a little bit longer. But um, fishing, I see mm-hmm. you fishing up there, right? Right, and I'm gonna. I'll clarify to listeners too. I don't eat meat, and I generally don't eat fish unless I catch it. Um, 
but I've been actually, I don't know, man, lately, lately I've been feeling guilty. I haven't been keeping too many fish, just generally kind of put them back. But, uh, yeah, you know, that's Catch again something that, yeah. yeah, my, my dad wasn't into it. My mom was actually the one that was into fishing when I was growing up. So, um, yeah, I've been, I've got back into that, um, I don't know, the past 10 years or so. Um, I was doing it at home a lot, uh, in San Francisco before I moved, um, get Dungeness pretty easily. I had an old shitty longboard that I'd paddle out uh, a pot on in sheltered areas, like mini deadliest catch style basically. And, um, <laughs> but yeah, trout fishing is fun. I love like the backcountry spots, um, in the Sierras. That's kind of, you know, obviously you can go to the stalker lakes, but I think it's more fun when you hoof it up something and put in some work. Yeah, man. Um, is there a resort near there or are you kind of just hiking up uh, hills and sledding or snowboarding now, or do you split board up there? Or? Um, man, I really, I want to get into split boarding. They're just so expensive. You know, um, I They're haven't so had, expensive. had the money. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but there is a, a, a pretty low key hill there, Dodge Ridge. Um, and it's, you know, it's, I've had some really fun powder days there. And as you said earlier, you're not getting those Tahoe crowds. Um, and it's fun. The backcountry access there in terms of riding is fairly limited because the highway it's one of the highways going across the Sierra that's not open in the winter and um, they close the passes it's just too too rugged Makes they sense. can't maintain the snow yeah. so to really get up in the high country uh the, the the core people up there have snowmobiles so they'll go motor up the closed highway uh you know another 30 miles and then go ride stuff um but there's some little options, but nothing that would compare to that, you know, the Tahoe region or say Mammoth or the Eastern Sierra. Yeah, that makes sense. I get it. It's probably still like your, your cabin isn't like necessarily secluded. It's in a small community or a little townlet or something like that. Yeah. I think the population it's in the hundreds, but you know, there's definitely like a little main drag and yeah, there's, there's people around the cabins, not it's, it's, it's sitting on a very small plot of land. So there's houses right next door to it. And, um, yeah. Word dude. Uh, do you do a lot of writing out there like music wise? Yeah, I have. I actually recorded some of the the new Hanalei stuff there as well. Um, it's, you know, I ran such a minimal setup on this record in terms of recording that, uh, you know, I could just drag a, a, a little gear case wherever and kind of have at it. Um, so yeah, some of those, some of the earlier songs went down there. Uh, you know, I've, I've kind of fantasized about doing that whole like artist recluse thing, like go hide out at the cabin for two months and, um, write the next great American novel or album. Um, but yeah. it, would, it would, it, it would not be that <laughs> given, given my talents, but, uh, yeah, I haven't, you know, I haven't just gone there and fully allowed myself to just focus solely on writing. There's always been other shit to do. And, and again, you know, thinking of the kid that that's a, that's a job in of itself. So, but at, yeah. at some point I would, I would love to. So, what was the vibe for this latest Hanalei record? Was it like songs that you put together over a course of a couple years? Was it one concerted effort at writing a record and completing it? Like, uh, what was kind of like the formulation, Steez? You know what I mean? So it was um, very uh, atypical and uh, ill-advised in one sense. But, you know, finding out that my wife was pregnant... Um, 
you know, I, I think that I had been grappling with the notion of, of wanting to have a child, but also being very aware of the fact that our environment feels like it's on the brink of collapse. Um, and it really was kind of tearing me yeah. up inside. But then when my wife was pregnant, it's okay, well, the, you know, this is happening now. Um, so I was, you know, kind of battling this out in, in my head. And I, I think that, you know, there was some anxiety and depression mixed in with the uh, expected joy. So at that point, I just started writing lyrics to, to kind of cope with it um, or as a means of catharsis. Um, and you know, the first atypical thing, at least for me that I did was I wrote all the lyrics before touching a guitar. Um, so then when, you know, and I, there's a song I threw away, I had a, a couple extra ideas, but I started basically formulating chords and structure around the lyrics. Um, and, you know, kind of just moving parts around, wiggling it and experimenting with recording, um, obviously with, with modern technology, you know, you're doing stuff to a click and you can kind of just cut and yeah. paste things if need be. Um, and yeah, that, that went on and on and on and on. And I just kind of just blasted the whole record out that way. Um, the ill-advised part was my good friend, Jerry, who played drums on it. Um, you know, what we should have done is had we had had more time to work together, um, we should have practiced all the songs and then have, he, he would have laid down drums first. I would have played over him. Um, but he ended up playing over everything I recorded. And, uh, you know, as, as you know, that's a, even for a seasoned studio drummer, that's a, a difficult task, um, because it's super tough. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what I've kind of come to realize is that, uh, you know, even for seasoned musicians that can be pretty locked in with a click and let's, let's take drums out of it. Let's myself for say, I've been using clicks for years. Right. And it, you're listening to it. It sounds pretty spot on, but if you really dig in or zoom in on a file, you can, you know, people tend to either sit ahead or behind of a beat. Um, and Jerry and I, we realized in the studio when he's playing drums over it that we're, we're opposites. I forget which, who was who, but um, one of us kind of in, like, you know, instinctively jumped and the other one held back. So um, we got there. It just took a lot of kind of post-production wiggles and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't really get that vibe listening to the songs. It all sounds pretty on, you know, like the rhythm seems really solid, but you're, you're right. It's definitely like a thing where people are pushing and pulling and it usually comes at a usually is weird, but I, th I, it instantly makes me think of bands like pavement or cap and jazz that they were doing that all over the place. Like even promise ring early promise ring. You're just like, Oh, I love these songs, but these guys are not playing together very well. You know what I mean? But it still creates this kind of endearing vibe where it's got this really loose uh, energy to it. And even now I can still appreciate it because I'm not like, just because I make my music like try to be on the tighter side of things. Like I don't want everything I listen to, to be like that. So it's cool to like appreciate that vibe too. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's, it's, you know, it's fantastic when being loose or, or sloppy um, really is, is, you know, additive for the music and makes it honestly more appealing. Oh, with certain yeah. things. But it's like, you yeah. know, for, for, for us, it's like, you know, I don't want to be doing that, in, you know, in my thirties or my forties, it's like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's it's generally you it, it's it's rad with youthful bands that almost kind of just don't know what they're doing and there's so much energy and and chaos uh, yeah i can think of some older dudes that like well not by my personal opinion but you know for the masses like pull it off you know like 
I would say Johnny Cash still had that vibe with his vocals later on, you know, where it sounds like he was like singing in your ear, but like that's the, the, that's the, the pills. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the rhythm is pretty shaky and uh I don't know what else there is actually. Maybe that's the only thing I can think of that falls into that, but I feel you. Yeah, like I I don't really want to be doing that either, you know. And I honestly I envy that because I don't think that my creative force lies and having that much style, like that kind of Bob Dylan gravitas where you can just kind of be loose and not tight and sloppy, but people just dig your shit. Like, you know, the the white stripes energy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And if it's not something that I think that you you have inborn in you, it's definitely not something that you want to try to force because that, that shit's <laughs> super transparent, you know? And again, it'd be weird at our age to be like, oh, let's, let's like, let's, let's play this one super sloppy and just see how it comes out. You know, (laughs) I know I've thought about that though. And I'm like, that would be fun. You know, (laughs) that would, that would be fun. But, um, so dude, this is cool to talk to you after so long. This is like the longest we've gotten to talk in years. I know, man, it's a, it's a pleasure. And like I was saying, we were chatting last week. We got to hang when when this shit simmers down. Yeah, I very much look forward to hanging with you, bro. Like, I mean, uh, go ahead. No, you you go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say I just have honestly so many fond memories of being nineteen and being in Santa Cruz and spending so much time with you. Like when we were getting the Trust Foundation songs together, it was just like. Even now at the age of 40, like for me personally, uh, it was a time, a really rapid time of personal development and growth, which still had so far to go for myself personally. But man, uh, it was a magical time for me. If I'm being totally honest, like I look back on that so fondly, man. And I appreciate those times and I appreciate you in that way, like so much, you know? Yeah, no, that it was, it was a very, uh, meaningful and formative experience for me too. And, uh, I was thinking back on it recently uh, in preparation for this podcast. And, uh, you know, you taught me so much, Steven, and, and I will appreciate that forever. And it's, you know, it was a pleasure. It's, it's always fun to hang out with you and just, and to add music in there is, is just a, was a huge bonus. And it was so fun. Yeah. I was thinking about Santa Cruz too. And there's God one time just, we smoked some crucial crippler and I lost it. And I think we were listening to like, early green day and i was like legit weed hallucinating and i don't know if you remember this but i like i was visualizing just like dragon <laughs> billy joe armstrong just beating the shit out of me with pop genius it was it was so bizarre but um yeah good times i do remember that time i don't know if i remember those details per se but i totally remember that night and how you referenced it and i remember like playing games of skate in the driveway at that santa cruz house and uh yeah man and likewise you taught me so much about kind of songwriting and another perspective on putting songs together and uh adding lyrical and thematic elements that it was really enriching experience for me too because you know as most people would be able to guess my my particular thing that i needed to get over as a musician early on was being so cerebral about about everything you know um and you were able to always put together music in such a concise and uh, 
how should I say, just nice way, you know? And you really taught me a lot about songwriting, man. Straight up. Maybe, maybe it was, maybe you're giving me too much credit. Maybe it was just overly simplistic, but, <laughs> um, well, yeah, you still had already established yourself cause you're from the East Bay, Bay area. Right. Um, and already, you know, your high school band was already locally popular. And, you know, I, I was going to say also, like, I, I wonder if you feel the same way, but to have been part of a high school band like I was also that was locally popular and just getting to have that special experience of playing shows to like people that like you and stuff at such a young age was like so cool for me, you know? And I, yeah. I would imagine it was really cool for you too, because what I said, what I'm saying is it's like, it's a huge accomplishment, you know? Yeah. And I think growing up um, where, you know, obviously we, we come from different places in the Bay area, but you know, myself having access to the Berkeley square and Gilman, and then you had, you know, your, your, a handful of teen centers or vets halls doing shows and you up North having the Phoenix theater, um, which, yeah, I, you know, honestly, the Phoenix to me is, is uh, just as vital, if not more so than Gilman, because if you're in the East Bay, you already have other options, you know, but up, up North, yeah. there's, there's not as much going on. And, you know, Tom, Tom Gaffey is a saint for sure. Um, you know, I, I, I value the, the, the Phoenix theater so much. It's such a seminal institution and, and wonderful place, but yeah, having, having spaces, um, that enabled us at a young age to play music. Uh, you know, I certainly wasn't doing anything good in high school musically, but I, I learned, I learned, um, and yeah, just being able to hang out in, in, in venues and be around, other youth that were interested in uh, similar genres or, you know, ex just exploring culture and art uh, and politics. Yeah. Wow. What a blessing, you know? Yeah. I, uh, that's cool that you appreciate the Phoenix theater too, like us Sonoma County people, because I've, <laughs> I have uh, maybe a lot of the times not so sober, but waxed poetic so much about the Phoenix theater about how it, we were so lucky to have it just because there was very few venues that you could play yourself to 20 to 50 people of your friends, you know, but also see like huge bands the next weekend come through and play that very same stage and see that place totally packed out. I mean, uh, I've talked about it before, but I got to see Jawbreaker there on Dear You Tour. It was like so epic because at that point I was like, I've already played here too. And I'm like a 16 year old dumbass kid. Like, wow, this is mind yeah, blowing. Yeah, it's, you know? it's, va it's validating almost, huh? Um, that's a weird, I've definitely played some of those like 20 person shows there. And that room is so big that it just feels so <laughs> shitty though. And that happens sometimes, you know? Um, I love like a 20 person show in a shoebox room. That's, that's rad. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, maybe it's just my bias, but my first show ever there was like a super Sonoma County show that was probably in 1993 or 94. And the bands were set up on the ground like they do a lot of the times for smaller shows. And it was like an 11 band bill. Like, I mean, just the old school Sonoma County bands, even I think Ground Round might have headlined, you know, Mickey and the Big Mouths, uh, Truant, like uh, all these bands we're playing. And my point is like my first time ever going in there. Um, and I think a lot of people experience this too, which is I, there was probably only like 30 or 40 people there, but just the, just how like little I had seen in my life coming from the little suburbia that I grew up in. Like it was like, it felt like the, you, 
it, it could have been like a gigantic like Re- Leeds or Reading festival to me because I was just like, whoa, you know, I had my mind blown. Yeah, and there's skate ramps hanging out too, and that's stoking you up. It's but God, it's you sad. know, so so many shows like that. Like every yeah, every punk band in Sonoma County was on the bill. You know, it's like <laughs> oh. And it's, it's, it's funny now, you know, obviously none of us have been to shows, uh, in about a year here for me, I guess. Yeah. Last, last show I was, that was probably about a year ago. Um, but you know, now that we're older, you see, it's like, if it's four bands, you're like, fuck, why isn't it a three band bill? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, and you know, totally. I don't Great Apes was playing a lot of, you know, punk shows and we'd definitely occasionally end up on, you know, like a seven band bill and you're just so bummed. <laughs> like, <it's> like <laughs> why? You know, but it's great when you're, when you're young. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It adds to the excitement when you're young, but yeah, we, we, in RX, we became like super, you know, just like we, we just want one opener a lot of the time, you know what I mean? And like, the booking agents always just like, yeah, you know, you think about having like an opening act and a main support and just like, we're like, fuck it. You know what I mean? But yeah, if you can make I, it I work. Totally relate to yeah. You know, and af- after a certain point, you just kind of, we're not trying to sell out Madison square garden or whatever, you know, we're just trying to do our thing. So we're just like, let's make the show how we want it, you know, and make it nice because, uh, I guess there's just some value to actually making people appreciate the opening act. And I feel like sometimes if there's a four or five band bill, like it's almost a disservice to a lot of the bands that are sandwiched in between because by then people are becoming like impatient and agitated. And I know because we've been that band a lot of the times on many tours. So Yeah, absolutely. But you know, they, they need to get that, that, that Choi Phoenix theater, uh, 94 vibe back where you're just <laughs> super overzealous and hyped to hear any music that you can. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I also I really agree with you that it you know it's for bands that are working their way up those opening or support slots um, can really change the scope of things on the right show on the right tour. Um, I definitely experienced that with other bands um, helping projects that I've been involved without, and it you know in a, in a, a couple cases it made a, a huge difference uh, in the long game. You know, so yeah, totally, man. How long has it been since you've been on? a tour of let's say two weeks or more. Um, great apes did a little run with the Lawrence arms. It was about two weeks and it was while I was teaching my principal, um, at, it was my old job was so cool. I was so nervous, like, you know, approaching about it. Like, Hey, can I, can I take, I had the days, um, but you know, asked, can I take two weeks off in the middle of the school year to go play punk songs? Was it a winter tour or something? Yeah, it was, I think it was in February. Um, and that was the last two week tour, uh, I did. And that was, gosh, that I want to say five years ago, maybe something like that. Um, great apes would do little jaunts like a week here and there, but, uh, again, being older and not, you know, we're not living off of music. Um, all of us had fairly demanding jobs or at least a few of us did. So, finding time, uh, to carve out for that was difficult. Um, you know, we had some Europe opportunities and it just didn't work time-wise because unless you're a, a pretty large band, you can't go over there for 10 days. Um, you know, we, so, but yeah, um, yeah. I, great apes, like me, you did a couple runs like that for sure. Um, but then, you know, ole hole as well. But I, I would say that 
I haven't toured really hard since I was in the ghost to, to be fair. Word. Um, when you left school to go on that Lawrence arms tour, did your students know what you were doing? I mean, inevitably they would have asked, right. And found out. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was teaching middle, I teach high school now. Uh, I was teaching middle school then. So the awareness level is, was a little lower or maybe the interest. Um, but I certainly yeah. have had, uh, numerous students like talk to me about videos they found on YouTube and I've had to mine the internet and clean some shit up for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, some of them were aware and, you know, I definitely had a handful of students at that middle school that were, um, really excited about my past and the fact that I was still involved in music. Uh, there was, uh, one in particular who a couple years later when he was in high school reached out to me and he had formed a punk band and I had recorded their first EP for him. And then I'd go see him. They played That's a rad. couple little, little spots. There's a, a place out by my old house in the sunset in San Francisco called the honey hive. Um, I saw him there a couple times. I hope that place is still going when this is all over. Um, so yeah, there, you know, some, some students were aware of it. Other, other students just hated me or couldn't give any shits at all. But you know, it, my, my job is to teach them not to get them to like me. So spoken like a true adult, mature adult teacher. Yeah. Legit. I, I mean, I mean, I try. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I bet that's legit. So, um, you now teach at a high school in Morro Bay. Is that, in, is that in San, Yeah, I'm living in Morro Bay and I'm teaching um, at San Luis Obispo High School. Oh, actual San Luis Obispo High. Okay. Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, it's only, it's only about so, a 15 minute drive. How big is that school? Uh, a couple thousand. I should know that off the top of my head. I don't, though. Um, it's again, it's, you know, what a. Not a, small, a, but not huge. Yeah, I think it's smaller than my high school. Uh, and it, again, teaching remote, I don't have a sense of it. Um, and yeah, what a what a strange way to pull a move and start a new job. Oh, that's right. So you've actually, since you started there, have never actually had a day in person in class yet, right? Obviously. Nope. Uh, what the district is doing is we're kind of in a holding pattern right now until the county goes into the red tier for three weeks we cannot go back to in-person. But as soon as we drop into the red tier for three consecutive weeks, we're, I'm back in. Uh, you know, at this point, I'm just hoping I can at least get my first round of, of, of the vaccine before I go in. But, you know, this is, this is what I signed up for. And if, you know, they make the call, I'm going. That's legit. So obviously you've been doing classes on Zoom where your students are still seeing you. Yes. Yeah. Do it's, you wear like, cool shit like your touch and go hoodie when you're teaching class? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, I don't, you know, I try not to wear hats like I am right now. Uh, it's, you know, I, it's, I'm, I'm feeling it out at, you know, teaching at an inner city school in South San Francisco. I was, you know, I'd, I'd rock t-shirts and, you know, jeans with a couple holes in them and tattoos everywhere. And it was not an issue. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to retain a bit more formality here, but, um, yeah, it's, man, it's high schools. It's, it's amazing. Uh, I did a, you know, long run in middle school, but high school is what I initially set out to do. And it's just, it's so much more intellectually rewarding, no offense to the middle schoolers out there, but you know, I'm doing like, we do music shares every week. I, I had this one student, um, drop some Andrew bird stuff. Uh, you know, it's getting older too. It's, nice. uh, it, it's, it's harder for us to stay on the pulse. So it's cool doing yeah. music sharing because there's actually been a few, 
um, projects or artists that students have shared that uh, I've kind of gotten into or researched on my own. So it, it helps me stay a little current. What do you think your, uh, your uh, dress vibe is going to be once you start going to in-person uh, class again? Are you keep it casual or are you going to be maybe like a central coast dude with like a flannel or something like that? <laughs> Full on drug rug? No way. Uh, I'm just, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it. Cat. No, board shorts and a tank top. No, I'm going to keep it uh, business casual. <laughs> so like a button up shirt, like a collared shirt at least. Uh, yeah, I've been wearing a lot of collared shirts. Um, no, nice. no t-shirts. Yeah. Have you, did you, have you played it, so much? I feel like it's this weird, yeah. I've never in, in all the touring I've done, I've never played a show in San Luis Obispo and I'm, I'm curious about it. Uh, cause I just, we played, never really was a thing. Uh, we played slow brew a lot and we also played a university show at Cal Poly slow. Um, so yeah, we've actually played it a fair amount and it's it's honestly how you would imagine it. Like our shows there were super good, like college kids and then kids like, you know, kind of like diehard fans that drive up from Santa Barbara, Ventura area and likewise from the Bay Area. But the rest of it was just like college kids from Cal Poly. And uh, it was super fun. You know, it was cool. It was a cool vibe. It was like Slow Brewing Company was like this small 500 cap room and a lot of bands that would normally play 1,000 or 2,000 cap rooms would stop there to play like a B market show to fill the gap, you know, have a day off and stuff like that. So I, I was always down for it. Super chill. Right. Break up the drive. And, you know, if there's not a lot of music coming through here, uh, you know, as you kind of suggested, local college students might be really appreciative of that. And that's that's great. Yeah, there's a venue in Morro Bay, too, that uh, has it looks like they've had some good shows here and there. So I don't know, yeah. hopefully when, th when things open up, I'll get to check some stuff out. There's also a teeny little punk bar that looks rad in Los Osos uh, called Sweet Springs. Apparently the Melvins played there somewhat recently on their little, uh, like did the small club, all California tour or something like that. But yeah. That sounds rad. Um, I would like to see more of that in that area, but you know, I think for being honest, like Morro Bay and uh, San Luis Obispo and stuff are probably still like zones where that white boy reggae does like the best or if it's not like the white boy reggae it's like kind of like those uh, folk and they like to tag on indie just because they dress a certain way but there's nothing indie about it <laughs> it's just like internet folk or whatever you know? yeah yeah the city witch look with the wide brimmed hat <laughs> and I guess it's not a city here but Definitely, yes, correct on 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 the white reggae. A lot of like dad rock around here too, I think. A lot of like dudes wearing that white new sense. balances and you know, doing some blues riffs. <laughs> <laughs> uh it would also be rad if I guess I it would never happen, but if they did like something cool with the Madonna Inn, like they do at Pappy and Harriet's or like other places, because it's such a funky looking place. I don't remember if there's actually like a large enough room in there, but if you had shows there, it'd be, I think it'd be super cool. I've thought about that a lot. Yeah. Just like a themed out live room. That'd be amazing. People would love it. Yeah. Yeah. I would. Love I've it actually, I've never even, I've, I've never been there. My wife's been there. Um, you know, I, I had so many friends in the Bay that would just go down and party and, you know, 
couples would go down on like boning missions. Basically, that's all I ever like <laughs> gathered of it was like uh, party and sex, basically um, in, in like a cave room. Like, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's rare for like a tourist stop or a hotel or whatever to have like a cult following. But like that place has legit fans. There's like people I know that would like to just stop there to pee driving between the bay and there because they always took the 101 i'm like cool if you want to like spend 11 hours doing that drive that's your call you know what i mean but yeah right uh yeah or or just even driving four hours for a hotel because it's a theme room yeah but people are committed diehards for sure seriously dude uh do you ever see yourself coming back to the bay um, you know, I, it's, it's certainly not out of the question. Um, I, you know, I can tell you that just, I, I love San Francisco, but, uh, just the years of, of change via the tech industry, um, and just the, the cost of living there, you know, as a teacher, my wife is in publishing. It's just, we could afford our apartments for sure and our places, but there is always the threat of the landlord coming after you. And there was just no security. You're kind of just always on your toes. Um, and I, I do really feel like a lot of the soul of San Francisco and, you know, the, the cultures that it, it's known for, um, I don't want to say a rate we're erased, but, um, we're whitewashed by the tech industry. And, uh, it, it was, it was frustrating. And, you know, even being able to move and being able to move to a place such as Morro Bay is, I'm extremely fortunate and lucky to have that. A lot of people don't have an out, you know, and it's, uh, yeah. if, if, if I, if something happened and things were actually like affordable in the long term in San Francisco, maybe, um, I think it's, it's more likely if I went up to the Bay that, you know, I'd head up to your stomping grounds, probably like North Bay, um, you know, somewhere where it's a little bit more affordable, less hectic. Um, you know, I've done yeah. between like living in, in Oakland and my years in Chicago and then well over a decade in San Francisco, like I've, I've had my city fill too. And I'm, I'm enjoying the, uh, you know, the, the kind of rural, uh, coastal vibe or mountain vibe lately. It's, it's, um, uh, it's a, it's a welcome change. And, you know, I've, I've always, as I suggested earlier, really appreciated, and I think been in tune with nature. Um, so kind of living a little closer to it is, is, uh, nice. I'm right there with you, bro. Living in LA and LA County and Long Beach and being on tour in just major cities, like, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm ready to kind of just be out and just more for the simple factor of less people, more space, just that simple underlying, uh, circumstantial change for me is, is huge, you know? So I'm totally with that vibe. Yeah. And you know, it's in talking about San Francisco, it's the change is inevitable, right? It's, it's, it's always going to happen and population boom. Um, I, you know, the pandemic's probably taken a hit on that, but it's for the most part, it's just, that's, it's, it explains a lot. Um, you know, places are overcrowded and there's, there's not that much you can do about it except get out if you have the opportunity to do so. So, yeah. Do you still uh, skate at all? Do you have a, like a cruiser board or anything like that? 
I feel like I just break a hip trying. Um, nah, I all uh, you know, there is a couple spots that great apes would play a lot that had minis, and I'd I'd always like if I knew we were playing that venue, I'd always throw a board in the van. Love skating mini ramps. Um, I certainly am not trying to skate street at all. Um, I'll mess around every now and again though, like stout front or you know in the driveway. Um, there's some really so you fun do have looking. a board. I have two boards, yeah, but. Okay. There's some, there's some fun looking skate parks around here, but Steve, I'm so terrified of just getting ran out of them by Groms or like fucking beating grandpa. <laughs> so I know some people like our age though, that, that still hit parks and their trick is like they, they dawn patrol it like they're surfing. They just go like yeah. sun's, sun's coming up because they, they know, like they know the, you know, the, the frothing Groms aren't ready to get them at that hour. You're exactly right. I mean, 90% of the time I'm at the park, it's before 10 a.m. So for that very reason, it's just, if there's less people there and it's just mellow, you get them all to yourself. You know what I mean? You have one close to you in Long Beach? Oh yeah. We're surrounded by skate parks, but yeah, specifically I have the closest one that, uh, I, I'm obviously skating it way less since pandemic, but before I would go to at least three or four times a week was a park called Orizaba and it's only like 1.2 miles away from where I live. That's so. fantastic that you're going that much. It's like, must, must be a, a fun release for you. And yeah, it's it was hard. It was like a process where at first you just have that instant impulse to be like, I want to try this that I used to be able to do. I want to try this, you know, but to find a way more mellow approach, because I'm, I think the same as you do. Like, I'm like, I'm going to break a hip. Like, I'm not going to try and heel flip down that big gap or ledge. Like, you know, I'm just going to do this mellow stuff. Like, uh, and putting your ego aside, because for me, like in my youth, there was so much ego attached to skateboarding. I There was just no separating. I didn't know. I wasn't even self-aware, right? And so to separate that and just take a more calm approach and enjoy it in a new way has been cool for me. Yeah, it, it's been cool to be able to uh, skate that way. Yeah, know? just, I mean, having fun, no pressure, really. It's, that's, that is, uh, you know, we learn yeah. that with, with age. Um, you know, I think, same thing applies to surfing. There's so much ego in it, so much aggression. And um, yeah. yeah, the older I get, the, the more that, that kind of spoils it. Um, but that's, that's so surfing is Surfing is the thing you probably do the most then? Yeah. Of all and, the board sports? Yeah, that's like when, when I moved back from Chicago, um, that was, it was just pretty much instantaneous. You know, um, I got, I had such a good time in Chicago and I, I, I couldn't say enough positive things about that city. Um, but I did really end up missing nature and being outside in the long run. Um, and yeah, when I came back to California, I started immediately getting back into surfing and, um, you know, living in San Francisco, the, the last say like six, seven years I was there. Um, I lived out on ocean beach and kind of, you know, removed myself from the central city so I could have easier access to surfing there. Um, and then yeah, moving down here, there, there are a lot of waves and, um, I I'm generally in the water at least a few times a week, if not more, which is, it's great. It's a privilege. And it, it really, uh, it is the, the difference in, in my mood and my mental well-being, um, if I do surf versus if I, if I don't surf is substantial. And, you know, uh, it, admittedly there's been periods during this pandemic that, and, and just, you know, politically social justice wise feel like the, where it's, it's felt like the fucking world is ending. Um, 
And, uh, again, just that constant anxiety, uh, I've, I've hit like, you know, pretty depressive bouts and as, as a lot of people have, and I, I think that I, you know, I will say that people that are generally stable, uh, all of a sudden aren't, and people that, um, have pre-existing mental health conditions or uh, history of issues, it's just been incredibly amplified. So that's one thing that's been, um, a, you know, healing for me or just provided some, some relief. So. That's rad. Um, where are you surfing the most? Uh, there's Actually. just a, 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 it's basically just a huge beach from, uh, the, the rock and Morro Bay all the way up to the Cayucos pier. And there are, uh, just different spots that work under different conditions. So mostly just those, those beaches, um, there are a, a handful of fickle spots or novelty waves. And I, you know, I haven't really gone exploring that much yet. And, you know, I, people with more time than I have will often drive down to Santa Barbara or Ventura. It's not too far, but, um, you know, I, I generally don't, uh, have a pass to just say, Oh, I'm going to go drive four hours and surf for two hours <laughs> in my day. But, uh, you know, yeah. there's, it's, I'm just living right on the waters. It's, it's so nice. So, yeah. How far from the water are you? Five minutes driving, maybe less. Oh, that's cool. Are the locals there mellow? Um, a lot, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's certain spots for sure, as there are, uh, everywhere, but I, I would say generally mellower than, uh, San Francisco, especially the points in San Francisco. Um, yeah, people here are, are, have been pretty friendly and open to me. Um, obviously making new friends during these times, uh, is it's difficult, but I've definitely met a handful of people surfing and some of my coworkers have taken me in and yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, to go back to the ego thing, less ego out of the big city. Um, so that's, that's been refreshing as well. That's pretty cool, man. And you said you still have two skateboards, like, are they both street boards or is one of them a cruiser board? Uh, oh, so actually, so let me, let me, I have one kind of street board set up that I've had. It's, it's so old and beat. Um, and then I got a, a spare deck lying around that doesn't have any trucks or wheels on it. And then up at the cabin, do you remember the, the fucking Veriflex deck, uh, with locals only on the bottom? Yeah, uh, I got I that. Do. I got, I have that thing set up as a cruiser. Um, some friends of mine bought it for me for my bachelor party. I put some Santa Cruz speed balls on there. Um, that thing's, yeah, it's, it's, it's got the, um, what do you call them? Like the, the truck protectors. Remember when they made those like the plastic shit? Oh yeah. Like, truck guards. Yeah. 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 Totally. Dude. And it says can't cope because of the coping. <laughs> it's like, so bad. That's rad, dude. Yeah. Honestly, it's fun to just push around on a nice cruiser board too. Yeah. Those, honestly, you know, those little really like is. penny boards look fun too. I haven't tried one. They they don't feel very fun. Like I've ridden a couple and they're hard plastic without grip tape. And it's just like, it's such a tiny area for your feet that I'm like, this feels so sketchy to me. And like kids are riding them around the city with giant cracks everywhere and stuff. You're just like, what? Yeah. It's the, the worst, the little like pebble stoppers or the crack stop. Yeah. Or yeah, if you have any moisture on your shoe, like that thing is, I don't know, man. I'm you know, maybe that's just the old guy talking, but I'm like, those things do not feel safe to me. I'm like, I've ridden run around just for like, for laughs, but I was like, damn, this feels sketchy. <laughs> you got to put some surf wax on that or something. My, my, my son's like, he's at the age where I like, I want to get him like 
you know, you don't want to push these things um, like skating or surfing, but you kind of want to start prepping them. Um, and he's got this like, you know, the little handlebar scooter thing and he's starting to get comfortable with it, but he just keeps making, making me ride it. So I'll be like cruising around down in the neighborhood here, just this fucking old fat guy, like bare and the things like barely the clearance is probably like the three centimeters off on the ground with me on it. Um, but you know, he just, he, he's, he's demanding that I ride it. So he, he literally will get off of it and be like, daddy, you ride it. Yeah. He's like, dad, on, on, on <laughs> just like. <laughs> Yeah. He's impressed with your skills. That's why he sees you ride it so gracefully. He's like, I want to see that. Some, some teenagers saw me and definitely clowned. Luckily they, I I don't think they were my, my students, (laughs) but you know, yeah, I'm, I feel like though, maybe this is just for people like you and me, where it's kind of like a microcosm, but I feel like there is a smaller gap between us 40 somethings and 40 year olds and teenagers now than there was say in the eighties or the nineties, just because, uh, there isn't so much compartmentalization in media to like further divide these age groups and stuff. Like with the internet, everything is like getting pushed together, you know, and I see it in a lot of different things, but I don't know. What do you think about that? Because that's honestly how I kind of feel. Yeah, I I agree. And I think, you know, there's there's the negative term Peter Panning that got thrown around so much in San Francisco. But I, th- I think that that's um, oh, yeah. more culturally acceptable. And um, personally, as long as you're handling your shit, like I'm, I'm all for it, like, you know, fun and youthfulness needs to be emphasized in society. Um, it's, you know, that's that's where the living is. And um, yes, I agree with you. And I think that the internet is a huge component in, in that. So, yeah, um, I have no problem with I'm, it. I'm glad you said that because, you know, being somebody that has to constantly deal with beating myself up, um, I definitely beat myself up about Peter panning it by default, just cause I'm like, damn, I'm skating. Damn. I'm still playing soccer and I play in a rock band and I jump around stage like an idiot. But, and then I go, well, if I'm handling my shit, that's all that matters. But, and then I also go, well, you should also be grateful that you, you're able to do these things and that you feel good enough to do these things. But yeah, that's the whole battle. So I always love talking to people like you, honestly, that just by finding out about your steez is kind of corroborating that. Yeah. You're living the dream. It's you know, don't beat yourself up. And yeah. you and I both know that you have worked immensely hard to get where you are um, musically. And, you know, having that as just a, a life option to do that is, yeah, you've earned it. And it's amazing. Don't be hard on yourself. It's, you know, it's like, is your, is, is what, well, is like you get a family member that's still not, won't validate you still. <laughs> <You're> just, <laughs> no, don't you know? Oh, that you're, that's you're cute little be... man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, right. Well, dude, that's that's honestly one of the main things I deal with, which is like being like, eventually, Steve, the self-talk, you, you have to put your overly sensitive, entitled, traumatized 10-year-old self in its place and keep it there. You can't keep letting it pop out and create these issues for you. And you said it exactly right. Like, was there some family member that's not giving me the validation? It's like, not really, but that feeling that there is in my shitty self, my shitty mind, 
doesn't realize that yet and it still pops up so yeah it was super legit what you said it's you know that's that's hard that's a hard one to shake you know those like gosh i definitely took some heat heat there you know i was like joking around recently about um funny is it like when you got high schoolers just in punk bands with the gnarliest names and they got to tell their their like mom or dad or their (laughs) their nana it's like oh what's your band's name it's just like uh you know anal cunt yeah right. totally it's so funny isn't yeah. that nice and uh thank you for saying what you said earlier that was really sweet and i sincerely appreciate it if if i was around you i would have definitely given you a hug for saying that dude i appreciate oh, that man i mean and thank you for uh yeah just thank you for the kind words and I shouldn't need reassurance, but I was just like telling you about that thought <laughs> and you were like, and even, uh, even my lady Stephanie is always like, dude, you're fine. Like, cause I'm always like bitching about that to her. Like, am I too, imag- am I like, is this like a midlife crisis that I don't know about? You know? <laughs> no, She's like, you're, no, you're good. You're good. I, 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 I vouch for that. I'm a hundred percent confident. <laughs> Um, it's like seven thirty on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. What? And this is something I ask kind of like everybody, both off the podcast and on the podcast. Uh, what's your normal Sunday night thing? Has you has the family eaten dinner yet? Do you guys eat dinner separately? Are you a later like you stay up late or are you in the early schedule? Like you know, what's your normal Sunday thing and where are you at in that Sunday thing right now? So outside of doing this podcast with me. Yeah, the 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 podcasting is throwing it. So I think my my <laughs> wife is going to go to bed super early. Our general deal is Thai takeout every Sunday. Um there's nice. yeah, there's a spot in town um that's pretty solid. So we do that and usually chill and have like yeah, Thai and a Thai movie night. Uh we both go to bed fairly early. I've been waking up uncontrollably at, at 5 a.m. lately, uh, which is uh, not not fun. Um, but yeah, you know, Sundays, Sunday is a chiller one for sure. Uh, I, you know, I look forward to it. And I do, I having the Thai foods nice because I, the one of the things I think I miss the most about living in an urban environment is the food options, especially San Francisco, you know, just having so many wonderful restaurants. Um, and I'm certainly not a foodie and I, I I strangely would, um, leading up to this, I would take takeout over eating in a restaurant like nine out of 10 times. This might change that a little bit, but, uh, you know, I miss, Indian food. I miss Chinese food. There's none of that in Morro Bay. Slow's got some options. Um, there is uh jamming Mexican food here though, which is, I, I, that was like when we were scoping this area to live in no joke, Steve, the first thing I did was start trying burritos. And I was like, if one doesn't check out, it's this, this place is <laughs> off the list, <laughs> but it's yeah. So Sunday is tie night. Sorry. I was rambling there, but Sunday's tie. tie no night ramble. Night. Um, that's it. And then yeah, bed, bed fairly early. What's your, uh, go-to from Thai or do you mix it up or do you get the same thing every Sunday? There's so papaya salad is, is one of my favorite Thai dishes, especially, especially when it's extra spicy. Um, I usually get that as like a side or a Tom Yum. And then most, there's not really a Thai dish. I don't like, um, 
you know, any, any curry, Penang curry is probably my favorite curry. Um, I used to be, you know, like, I feel like the pad Thai move is like, that's some basic shit. You know, that's like the, 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 the Thai starter order. Um, I, if I'm going to get noodles, I'll definitely go pad say these days. Um, but there, there's like not much I don't like really. What about you? I'm the same. Um, I, although I'll, I'll still eat a pad Thai here and there on the road, especially when <clears throat> I'm in Nebraska or Maryland where I'm just like, I'm not going to try their Penang. This is not going to be good. You know, we come from a place with some of the best Thai food outside of Thailand. And so, uh, I am a big pad CU person just because I love the wider, you know, rice noodles. And, you know, if you know, you know, like the texture of pad CU is amazing. Those big, broad rice noodles feel so awesome to chew on. Um, RX's last record was recorded in Katadi at Prairie Sun, and we were ordering from this Thai restaurant in Katadi that had the most amazing pumpkin curry. So that that got me super crunked on pumpkin curry, but that's not something that like every Thai restaurant has, but pretty much most of the more legit Thai restaurants I've eaten at have always had pumpkin curry. So that's something I always look for. Yeah, my my wife jams the pumpkin curry, and my general approach is fuck every single squash like anything in the squash family i'm not i'm I, I don't i don't mess with it however pumpkin curry is bomb and i'll like i'll get i'll get down on a squash uh or a pumpkin you know it's well i'm kind of with you where i don't hate squash but i'm not crazy about it but the kabocha squash the asian squash or pumpkin that they use for that is like I think that people like you and me like it so much more because it's so much uh, more dense and textured rather than being loose and stringy like butternut squash, which for some reason seems to be like the favorite of like the white American. But I'm just like, yo, even of the squashes, that's a really weak fucking squash. Like There's so many better tasting, you know, pumpkins and squashes than that. So. For sure. Or there's like the, you know, the, the, I was at someone's, I hope they don't listen to it, but I went over someone's house for dinner a couple years ago and they, <laughs> they, they rolled out. They're like, Oh yeah. You know, like doing, doing a little diet things. So you got some spaghetti squash. I was just so bummed. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, exactly. I, don't, I don't, I don't do it. It's, but yeah. Would um, that person know who you're talking about if they listen to this? <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, they were at my I, house two years ago. <laughs> Friendship over. Um, yes, I think they would, but I doubt that I doubt they will listen to this. Fair enough, dude. Um, and is your go-to still like from your local taqueria there? Is it like a solid veggie burrito or do you just go like bean, rice and cheese stock or what? Both. Um, you know, I, I, a hundred percent opposed to vegetables in a burrito. Um, uh, other, Agreed. you know, we, we get, we did the onion cilantro, maybe some hot sauce, but, um, lettuce in a burrito is a cardinal sin. Um, I, and then yeah, like, it's a food you know, like, let's go back to squash. Like if I have certainly encountered ordered a veggie burrito thinking, I'm just kind of getting the bean cheese, maybe some avocado and sour cream. Totally. And a zucchini pops up and I am yep. devastated, dude. <laughs> so angry. You know? Dude, I'm right there with you coming from Northern California and also the same as Central California. There's all this like food hubris. So they feel like that they can just do this shit, you know? And, and I've said this my, many times myself, if you say veggie burrito, but then you throw in that steamed broccoli, steamed 
yellow squash, steamed carrot, uh, cauliflower, like that bullshit, like you're talking about. Get the fuck out of here with yeah. That. Get it's, out of here. Seriously. It's, it's a, that's a, that's a joke. And I, you know, I got no problem with broccoli or cauliflower, but just not, not in my burrito. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. I should also clarify. I am a vegetable lover. Broccoli is one of my favorite vegetables. I love cabbage. I eat slaws and make slaws with my mandolin at home all the time. I love these vegetables. I'm not a big squash person like Brian, but in a burrito. No, 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 no. Yeah. Same, yeah. same minus the squash. And I think, you know, back when you and I, oh, Long Life Veggie House, uh, you and I, oh, yeah. would, I think um, broccoli veggie beef was, was a staple for both of us. Um, you know, I, I hit that broccoli spot up maybe beef. like a year a year ago, before, you know, around the time that the shutdown was, was gearing up and it was just as solid as ever. So good. That's sick that that place is still open. It's awesome that you went and got your like two weeks worth of sodium in one meal. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> uncut msg but uh yeah their prices too like they they're i don't know if they're unaware of inflation but they're it's still like it's i think they've raised prices maybe two dollars since like 99 it's it's people in the east bay that may be listening or just it's even if you're in the west bay drive across long life veggie house in berkeley is amazing yeah i mean i started going there in 95 like on trips to berkeley be like, go up University Avenue, get Long Life, Veggie House, go to the Lookout Records store across the street, then drive further south um, into almost Emeryville and stop at Univibe, which was like the music shop owned by Bill from Monsula. And who else was partnered up in that place? I don't know who the, the partners were. My buddy Jeff worked there for a while. And one of my first houses out of my parents' house was right kind of down the street from there. And that was such a phenomenal music shop. Um, I, you know, one of the best I've ever been to, honestly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I bought my first amp from there, which is a custom red sparkle fold and tuck bass amp and like this dovetailed 115 bass cabinet. And yeah, that shop was just amazing. It was it was literally like magical to me also because you'd always see like East Bay punk music dudes all around there. And it's just being a little kid, I was just like, who can I see there? You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Yeah, I, f I feel like it was if, you know, if memory serves pretty curated too. like they weren't selling whack shit. You know, you can there's no. there's, there's other shops where, uh, you know, I'm not going to name them, but you go in and. Uh, yeah, you could pick up something like an amp for a hundred dollars and it's just that, you know, pile of garbage. Uh, and they'll, you know, they'll totally. sell, you, sell you a, a guitar that won't stay in tune just to make a buck. And yeah, Univibe just had only, only solid stuff. Yeah. I remember that house you had down the road from there too, man. I spent a lot of time there with you guys. You know, I would drive up from Santa Cruz, we'd party, I'd sleep over the living room like i would set up the couch cushions on the ground and roll my sleeping bag out and shit yeah a lot of good times move. i feel like you know we were Hell. uh it's it's i'm i'm i do miss the amount that we all at a certain age as musicians and friends were willing to travel just you know i was up yeah in santa rosa when that last um incarnation of the wonder years is going on like twice a week maybe more driving down to santa cruz all the time now you know if a friend's like an hour and a half away like, oh you want to come over for dinner i'm like ah 
I don't know. <laughs> it's but yeah, dude, uh, that's I got to get three that. hours round trip. Right. But I got to get that passion back. I don't know. <laughs> well, I believe that, uh, especially now what we're settling into, even though we're getting older and moving away from, uh, things we're more familiar with that these will most likely be phases too. And that, you know, we might get into phases later on where we have more time to do that kind of stuff. We may be like, you know, gray, all gray and <laughs> super old by then, but I feel you on that, dude. I want to have that vibe more too. Yeah. I, I mean, I, th I think when we come out of COVID too, that, uh, that we're going to be doing things that we certainly would not have prior. And, you know, it's, I, I think for everyone, it's really put into perspective how much we take for granted. Uh, you know, a friend asked me, he's like, dude, you know, like think about the band you hate the most, you know, and when, when this is done, like, would you go see them with me? And I, I was a hundred percent. Yes. I'm all in. Um, yeah. And we, and you and I, it's like, you know, we're getting loaded, like the whole nine, like I go full festival of just garbage bands, um, just for the experience, you know, and because we've been so pent up. What about, would you, so, would you do it, Steve? Honestly, uh, probably not because I was the type of person where quarantine and pandemic, um, I mean, I'm like you where it certainly made me appreciate that I need people and I need communion way more than I wanted to admit, but still my natural inclination is not to be going out into big social situations and parties. I never really enjoyed that just because my social anxieties my whole life like really fucked that up for me. And I constantly in my youth tried to force myself into those situations and act okay. And I got kind of a handle on it through really negative self-medication <laughs> that got out of control for a while, like in my younger years in the band. But um, no, because when you say that, I imagine you being like, yeah, if I could go hang with you and go get wasted, I would go to a full day of EDC or something like the <laughs> biggest like, or hard, like the biggest electronic EDM festival. Right. Um, and I would think about like, okay, that would probably be one of my least enjoyable concerts too. So would I do that? Probably not. I would just be like, yo, let's just spend a full day together. Like another time when yeah, we yeah. cannot have to be there, which is like, fuck. I realize like I'm such an old crotchety man, but you know, what you know, can I do? It's I am what I am. <laughs> despite my, my last comment about what I, you know, when I go see fucking Aerosmith or something, um, I, <laughs> I've, I've found that, uh, I I've become really adverse to large crowds and, uh, yeah, packed, packed rooms lately. And it was even happening with me with music. Like if I'd play a really good show, I would get a lot of anxiety. Um, after playing or totally. having, having to navigate, um, you know, seeing people and that wasn't always a thing for me, but, uh, you know, maybe it's age, maybe it's something else. I can totally relate to that. That totally started happening to me too. And as I got older, as we started playing more shows, as we started playing bigger shows, more people want to talk to you and stuff. It got harder for me, honestly. And I always tried to convince myself that I wasn't like that. So it wasn't until way later that I actually started to realize that and go, actually, dude, you're not this person that you thought you were. <laughs> you're actually this, where this makes you really anxious. And that's why you acted like a dick in this situation or acted seemingly like an asshole in this situation because you weren't really being self-aware and taking like uh, responsibility for yourself. You know what I mean? 
Right. And I, I think that, you know, given your craft, that's a, that's, it's number one, it's not, this isn't a bad thing. It's just, it's who you are, but given your craft, that's um, especially challenging because obviously playing music entails being around a lot of people um, a lot of the time. And, you know, I, I, to, to, I, thinking back on our younger years, it was, it was always kind of evident to me that you thrived more in, in smaller settings. Um, or that there was a level of nerves to larger social um, events or, you know, shows. So, but it's there, there's certainly nothing wrong with anyone having social anxiety or preferring uh, quieter or more intimate settings. But um, you're right about that. And when I look back on it, it's clear to me too, but that's another thing I appreciated about hanging out with you a lot then is because in my mind and looking back, you very much were not like that. And I remember going to so many random like parties in Santa Cruz of like people that you knew that you knew and ended up still having a good time because those were actually like things that I never wanted to do. But I was like, fuck it. We're all going. Like we got the group of friends here. We're all going. I'm going to go like, let's just go do this. And I have a lot of fond memories and it was really fun for me still. So, uh, yeah, it was cool to like, and you were the first person because I was just so fresh out of high school and moving out of Santa Rosa that I was really doing that with. And yeah, it was really sweet. <laughs> I, I, I digged it a lot. Santa Cruz is, I think that was a kind of magical era for that, um, that, that zone, you know, what a, always a beautiful, uh, place, but it's, you know, it, it's ebbed and flowed and, um, the, the crowds now are in intense there. Um, and I'm not talking like summer boardwalk shit, but just um you know the traffic and it's the the infrastructure is yeah. not there to handle it um but that was that was so fun in that in that era and yes with with um you know the excitement of youth and being being out of uh high school and with the, the whole world open to you uh what a cool town and yeah that house was amazing too yeah i mean i've i've tried to like tell people in detail like the amount of bands that came through there and stayed there and like all the action that was going on just with me being involved with Mike at Asian man and all the bands and all the shows. And like, I've definitely like had people look at me and be like, are you sure, dude, you're not making any of this up. It's just like, no man, it all really happened, dude. Like, you know, like all this stuff. And like you say, I just feel so grateful to uh, be around, have been around for that time. You know, I also think about funny characters like, uh, Julia had this house on the other side of town still. It was like on like um, Soquel, like towards the other side of town. And she had this party one night. Uh, I think it was the night that Bob Nana from Braid played like solo at that house there. And there was that like super weird, uh, they might've been Dill Records, but like this like kind of reggae punk band called the Ready Men. <laughs> oh, from, and, uh, from Oregon. Yeah, and like the drummer of that band was hanging out there with us, but the band wasn't there. And he kept introducing himself and saying, hey, my name is, I think his name was PJ, but he was like saying, hey, my name is PJ from the Ready Men. And he kept saying like that to like every person he met and everybody would just kind of be like, okay, like, yeah. And he'd just be like, hey, I'm PJ from the Ready Men. <laughs> That's like, I, I want to hope that there is some sort of inside like band joke or setup, but doesn't really sound like it. Yeah. I, that band, um, I briefly dated a 
girl that lived up in Corvallis, Oregon, or somewhere like her cottage grove it was actually. And those guys lived in that town and I went up to visit her once and ended up just kind of hanging out with them. But yeah, that's awkward. Um, I, I don't think I've, <laughs> I ever in all my years of playing music introduced myself as Brian uh, and then, you know, as as a member of whatever fucking garbage band I'm in at that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's super weird where even my young, dumb self was like, that's weird that he's doing that. You know what I mean? And then I think about that now, 21, 22 years later, I'm like, yeah, that was super weird that that guy was doing that. <laughs> how, how about fucking old dudes with punk names? <laughs> like... If you're, if you're like, you know, you're 40 and you're like, yeah, I'm Steve Puss, you know, it's like, yeah, it's so awkward. Hey, uh, my name's Bob Explosion. Nice to meet you. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> All right. So, um, I forgot I wanted to ask you more about the latest Hanale record. Sure. Because it's honestly not as common to have releases. And you're, I've released, I've had two or three releases during pandemic and you're releasing a full length record during pandemic. Um, it's coming out on AF records. That's correct. Right? Yeah. Oh, hold on. Do you, there's a car alarm going off outside. Yeah. Should we, should we pause? No, we don't have to pause the recording. That's, I'll either keep this in or I'll edit it out as if the, if the car alarm is too annoying, then I'll edit it out. But you otherwise, can. you know, I leave this kind of stuff in. Yeah, you could zoom in and but, um, clip that out real easy. Yeah. Uh, how did this whole release with AF Records come about? Um, you know, I I solicited a handful of labels, and uh, Chris Stowe at AF was very enthusiastic. Um and enthusiasm is always appealing to me as a musician. I don't ever want to uh, have to sell a label or pitch too hard. It's um, it, if someone's not interested in, in what I'm doing or what I've made, then and, and it's, it's by no means is this to say that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm this to say this record's exceptional or anything that I uh, have done is. I just want people on board that are excited about it. That's it. Um, so he, he, you know, showed that kind of enthusiasm and that was meaningful to me and attractive. And that was that, um, obviously, you know, there's a lot of history with that label and, uh, the band and yeah, I got some friends that are on the label. They put out some great stuff. Um, I, you know, it seems like they've really branched out over the last handful of years. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm stoked. And I, I really wanted it out on, you know, vinyl and that's happening. So yeah. So that's pretty chill. Honestly, it was as simple as you picked some labels that you like thought that you would like to release the record. You approached them and AF was just super down. Yeah. And that's, you know, um, it, it, admittedly it's, I'm not going to go hitting the road super hard um, and you know, they like Chris knows that the label knows that. Um, and I, I it's just, I feel fortunate and to be like, okay, I'm going to make this record. You're going to put it out. Hopefully you'll recoup. Um, but just to have that kind of support, um, after all these years, so continuously, it's, um, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I, I've just so much gratitude for anyone really that's ever released music, uh, that I've done and yeah. 
Uh, do you, when we're allowed to, do you plan on playing any shows? Uh, Hanalei shows for this record? Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to do some some regional runs uh, and just you know, small stuff. I just can't uh, with with work. Um, even if it was summertime, obviously I'm off for two months. But I, I just yeah, with the kid and I got my fill in, you know. And I don't at the level that I'm at, it's not like I'm going to be put up in hotel rooms or that I could afford to pay for that out of pocket. Um, and I'll still sleep on a couch and hang out with friends till the wee hours but uh here and there I, there's i can't i can't do it for weeks on end it's just um it's not appealing to me uh you know if if, if something were to happen and i were was offered a, a cush tour i i would consider it but just grinding it out on um you know on the base level is I, i've had my fill if if that yeah i feel like as a whole touring is kind of going away more and more there's no there's very or there's not i can't say none but there are much less bands that can go out in a van and just book a string of shows than there were in our era you know and even for bands like us somewhere in the middle uh our days of going out for four or five weeks at a time in a tour bus like are most likely over you know, even like the last tours we were doing, they were all fly dates, clusters of three shows here and there back, you know, for back Monday out again, Thursday or Friday, that type of situation. So, and, and honestly, like, I don't really, even myself don't have a desire to like go out there for five weeks at a time, you know, anymore. I, I, not just for my own desires for my own life, but just for the quality of the performance too. It's, I can be way more present and appreciative and and focused on what I'm doing when it's not just like six days in a row where after three weeks of that, it's really easy to get on stage for me and just not appreciate it and just kind of take the whole thing for granted and just be burnt out, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that when you are grinding that hard and it, you're working so hard and it's this groundhog day cycle and you've been doing it for years and years, we're talking decades at this point, that um, the work aspect of it kind of sucks the joy and passion out of it, or at least it has the potential to do that. And when you're able to be a little more selective about when and where you're playing, um, as you said, you can put a lot more into it and you can appreciate it on a deeper level. Um, so, at, you know, at least you're aware of that a lot of people aren't. Um, and yeah, that's I had a lot of a lot of fun and just seen so many places and met so many amazing people. Um, and I, I'm I'm good with it where it's at, and you know I'll, I'll I'll play when I can and travel when I can. Certainly dialing back the touring over the years, I've I've kind of taken that energy and that passion and and put it into travel. Um, you know I I, I think that it, if once you have that that bug so to speak, then that doesn't go away. Um, and yeah, doing just surf trips, cultural trips, that that all that that it, it might have already been in me, but but touring certainly turned it up and um you know intensified my passion for for seeing that i mean touring the the deep south or certain parts of the united states like as californians that gives you a, a, just as one example um a pretty eye-opening view of the realities of of this country um because it, it's it's certainly worlds apart from the bay area it kind of shows you where a lot of thinking's coming from so forth and so on and uh we you know we were educated uh, by touring and by music. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a lot of similar feelings. Like, I certainly don't rule out going on tour again. If the situation is right and the circumstances make sense, like, I'll do it. But if it doesn't happen again, I feel the same. Like, I'm good. The amount that I've done, you know, over 15 years of it straight. And uh, I feel very lucky to have those experiences. They're, like, super enriching, you know. But, um, you know, who knows what the future holds. Uh, I am mostly enjoying that feeling of contentment of not like needing more or wondering what's out there or how people like to call it now, like I guess FOMO or whatever, but um, it's nice. It's nice to be separate of that, you yeah. know, and not to have any desire or feeling of need to stay quote unquote relevant or anything like that, you know? Yeah. And the, the I, I'm, I'm so happy that you're in that state. I think, you know, with, a lot of different creative endeavors, um, when you're not in that state, the pressure to, to kind of keep creating and raising the bar or at least maintaining the bar um, is is really overwhelming and um, dangerous at points. Um, I, yeah, I, I certainly I felt that when I was touring really aggressively and, you know, trying to get a record out every year. And it's it's so much more enjoyable um, it, it, from the other side. And I, I think, you know, when, when the ghost broke up and I came back to California, um, I really started to realize what that approach to music had done to me and, um, uh, how it had affected my, my love of music. And I, it took me a, a minute to kind of process that and then develop a new approach and kind of get back to that. You know, if we're talking Berkeley Square, Gilman, Phoenix Theater, just how we felt about music at that age. Cause that's like, that's the pure level yeah. you know, right there. So. Very well said, man. Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, hold on one second. I need to grab my power adapter for this laptop. No I don't worries. want it to cut out in the middle of this. All right. Sorry about that. There's me pulling rookie moves. No problem. Not being prepared. <laughs> <laughs> um, random thought. Sure. Do you drive a Subaru? I do not drive a Subaru. Do I? I, I kind of like. I imagine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I imagine you rolling up to the cabin in your Subaru Forester or something like that. Yeah, classic Flatlander stuff. Um, no, I do. I. I <laughs> I do not drive a Subaru. I, I've, I've. I think that's a very reasonable car, though. So that's in no way a diss. Yeah, I, I think Subarus are nice, um, and I could, I could see why you'd make that assumption. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being a good sport about my uh, backhanded inquiry. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I, I got my, uh, my coexist bumper sticker on there, a couple like $3,000 <laughs> mountain bikes and, uh, yeah, so forth and so on. Um, what's like, what have you been rocking lately? What, what kind of stuff do you listen to that do you feel like would inform any, well, I shouldn't say inform maybe add touches of influence to this latest Hanalei record, which has been like the music you've been working on the most. Or if it's not the case where Hanalei's inception is kind of all from within and what you've curated throughout your life and what you like, that makes sense too. Yeah. So, um, you know, a, a couple of close friends summed this upcoming record up as um, a the, the, the culminative factor, right? Like there's a lot of, you know, obviously I've played uh, a, a fairly wide array of, of genres and this is kind of perhaps the cohesive coming together of a, of a lot of my influences and prior works. Uh, you know, my, my taste is di- diverse and, you know, I, I, I guess that's for your listeners. You, I'm sure already know that about me. Um, I'm, I'm listening to just as much soul and reggae as I am punk, um, hip hop as well. Uh, you know, I don't, I admittedly don't really listen to a lot of hardcore or post hardcore anymore. I think I've softened with my years. Um, that, that being said, I still, uh, you know, I respect and love the genre and a lot of bands. Um, it's also being down here now for six months it's really hard to get good punk records so what i'm doing is there's a little shop in town it's called vinyl aisle it's fantastic i'll just kind of go in there and dig through the bins and i'm coming out with um you know a lot of soul records uh the occasional every now and again you'll get like a a good hip-hop record there but it's it's fairly rare um definitely they have their folk selections good i don't really mess with a lot of classic rock but it's kind of forced me out of out of my comfort zone of big city record stores where anything you can go in with something in mind and you're getting it. Whereas here I'm just having, yeah. having to find it's like one of the joys of record shopping. So I'm doing that. And then, you know, if I want punk records, I'll mail mail order. And there's a couple spots up north that um, I, I love. And so, yeah, I mean. This record to me, as I said, is just, I, it's, it's representative of a lot of things I've explored and hopefully it comes across in a cohesive manner. Um, you know, the song I pulled from the record was, uh, a punk song and it, it ultimately kind of sat out as too much for the record. And I, I think it's, it, it flows, uh, much more seamlessly with that song out. So I'm glad I pulled it, but you know, um, yeah, my taste are wide so i mean is are you mainly your music listening medium or your preferred medium is vinyl uh you know i i listen to records most nights at home uh i i'd say at least four or five nights out of the week uh my wife and i'll just chill out when our son goes to sleep and listen to records for a while that being said, uh, you know, I listen to music in the car too. And I, it's my collections, like the majority of my hip hop for whatever reason is digital. Um, my, my vinyl collection is lies more in the punk indie, um, soul and reggae zone. So it depends on what, on what I'm in the mood for, but you know, my, my stereo at home, I got the eighth inch Jack, so I can just switch it up if I want to at any given point. Yeah. 
the hip hop is the hardest to find on vinyl. You know, it's like the most, it's the most coveted. Yeah, and know, it, it's, sure. it tends to be pricier. And I kind of am often of the mindset where I want to walk out with like three records, not one, you know, and just check some different things out. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard to find. You can order it, um, you know, too. And I, 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 I wanted to mention this earlier, but I, I think one of the most amazing things for you and I about growing up in the Bay area at the time that we did was the intersection of like punk and hip hop, right? Like you're in high school and it's, it's, yes. it's like, you know, you're, you're jamming Fugazi one minute and then it's E40 the next. And it's like that, that was, you know, I, I totally. you don't see that in a lot of places. I think Minneapolis has kind of had some times um, where that's happened, but for um, sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm very appreciative of that. Uh, two records, like I would pay a hundred dollars, possibly even more for a vinyl copy of, uh, souls of mischief, 93 till infinity. Um, I would probably pay a hundred or upwards of $200 for far sides, bizarre ride Two. Uh, there's a few from, you know, the whole high row crew. Cause that was like my particular favorite at that time, what you were talking that's, about. That's you know? so funny. I just so. got a common rap that last far side record on, on vinyl, um, a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, I mean, bizarre ride is just unstoppable, untouchable. That's such a fantastic record. Timeless too. Um, so good. yeah, I, you know, someone, I don't know if you, maybe you can confirm this or maybe you're not aware of it, but someone recently told me there's a souls of mischief documentary and I need, I need to find Yeah. On YouTube. Was oh, it good? Yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but my friend who's like a pretty well-known rapper in Canada, he just posted it today and was saying like, you guys got to watch this. And I was like, Oh, I got to check that out. Sure. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. You know, it was a sleeper music documentary that I would highly recommend, the Rye Coalition one. Um, it's that I mean, that band was Whoa. fantastic, but their story is so unique. So I think it's I think you can find it on YouTube. I forget the actual name of it, but if you just, you know, look up Rye Coalition documentary, it, it's it's killer. That's rad, man. Yeah, Rye Coalition was rad. I had I had some comps, I had some mixes that I had plenty of Rye Coalition, Lungfish, and a bunch of stuff on, man. It was rad. Lungfish is, yeah, wow. Love the, love the, like the spoken word style. So that guy's amazing. Do you, uh, do you still have the same level of love for Jawbreaker and Jess to Brazil? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd say that, you know, his, his lyricism, oh, still is very impactful and um you know the influence on me in my younger years is uh massive uh no doubt um i you know i saw them at a couple reunion shows it's I, you know i have i in general i have mixed feelings about reunions um however like you know they're just such a fantastic band he's such an amazing writer uh, it's, it's, it's nice to see them get what they deserve and to be able to do this, um, later on to me, you know, like I, John Sampson is the one lyricist that just, uh, continues to just be 
a, a, a profound influence uh, on me. And I'm just always blown away by his writing. Um, he is just so skilled. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you heard that, that single he released, I feel like it was like three or four months ago, but fantasy baseball at the end of the world, you know, he's, he's, he's one of the few writers that uh, can consistently make me tear up when listening to music. And, um, John Sampson, is he a solo artist? So it's the, the weaker than some propaganda dude that, uh, now he's releasing. Oh, 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 it's him. Yeah. Okay. And he, sorry, I never knew his name. He did put out, um, an LP on anti that's, that's really good too. So yeah, he's doing some solo stuff now. And, um, just, you, you know, you're aware, Steve, of just my emphasis on lyrics. And, uh, that to me is kind of what, what, made me really dive into punk was, um, you know, lyricism and the relatability of what people were saying versus other genres. Um, so it's something I take very, very seriously. And, um, yeah, John K. Sampson's fantastic. Yeah, he is. And it's, it's another one of those bands that trips me out and just ages me and just goes like, man, I remember when that first Weaker Than's record came out. Uh, that was a heavy hitter. It hit hard. Yeah. Yeah, it hit hard. It made a big impact in 99, was it? 98? Might it, Yeah, might have been. I, I could look it up right now, but I'm not going to. But yeah, it was late 90s. It might, might have been yeah. 98, maybe even 97, but I want to say 98 or 99. I guess you could be right, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where did you see the Jawbreaker shows? Um, the more recent ones, Rickshaw and Great American. The Rick, the Rick. Oh, you were also at that Rickshaw stop. That was the very, very first yeah, show. They yeah, played. that was that was wild. There's just like little. It's so it's interesting too. You know, when you see uh, bands that have become multi generational, there is like this this teeny little kid that snuck in through the rafters. It was some straight up punk shit dude just spider-man that motherfucker it was so weird I have no yeah. idea how, like it was yeah um anyhow it's yeah it's it's really cool to see you know ba a band that, that you kind of grew up on um and then kids now that are teenagers that are just as stoked on them and not necessarily because um you know a family member a father or mother was like hey check this out i'm into this uh it's just kind of on on their own accord <laughs> Um, that's, you know, it's, it's amazing when, when bands have that kind of like lifespan or, uh, you know, influence over the decades. Yeah. Um, did we go together to the bottom of the hill, uh, just to Brazil promise ring Jimmy world no, shows? That was, I feel like I went no, with you. Um, I don't think so. The, the shows from that era that, but, that stand out at bottom of the hill was, I, I remember, there was like no knife at the drive-in and get up kids on one show. That was yeah. amazing. Um, and then braid the same week. It was just that, that kind of heyday, you know? Yeah. And then, but I definitely did go with you and Tuan, uh, to at the drive-in at great American musical. Yes. Yeah. And then Japanese band Husking B opened. I don't remember them. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, uh, they were like, uh, I think Jade Tree might have released a record of theirs or something. I don't remember. It was one of those labels, but yeah, those are good times, man. Well, we've been going for a while, and uh, <clears throat> it's been great catching up with Absolutely, you. Absolutely, Steve. Is there anything else 
you would like to say before we end? Uh, no, I mean, if if you're curious, check out that new Hanalei record on AF. Uh, you can look my shit up on Bandcamp. Uh, I'm I, I'm working on a, a project with Paul, who was in the Ghost with me, and then Neil from the Lawrence Arms, and you know, I'm sure that I'll be continuing to uh, you know embark on new journeys musically. Um, I love you, brother. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. And uh, let's please hang out once it's safe to do so. Absolutely. Love you too, bro. Thanks again for being here. Really appreciate it. everyone i'm hal schwartz and i'm flynn mcclain together we host none but the brave a podcast dedicated to the music and career of bruce springsteen bruce and e street band are on tour right now for the first time in six years and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes we've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests including rock journalist warren zanes and stephen hyden backstreet's magazine founder charles cross and barstool's kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!